many ways. A Diverse Life, the podcast that explores how people live, love, play and work in all their diversity. Hello and welcome to episode 21 of A Diverse Life. Thank you very much. Welcome to episode 21. And as you can hear, I've got a co-host with me today. Um, Charlie would normally be at school when I'm recording this, but you're not at school today, are you, Charlie? No. Why are you not at school today? Because I have a cold. Yeah, he's had a kind of bit of a cold and a cough and a bit sore. So um, we're recording this, not from the studio, but just from uh, one of the spare rooms in my house. So you might hear a slight difference in sound quality. Uh, I apologise for that. Um, so, Charlie, have you ever thought about living on a boat? Um, yeah. Do you think that would be fun? Yeah. What do you think might be fun about it? Because um, I like water. Ah, yeah, that idea of living on water. I think that appeals to a lot of people, doesn't it? The idea of, of living on water. What other things do you think might be fun about living on a boat? Well, um, you can drive around. Ah, yeah, you can drive around the canals and see different parts of the world and things like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, also because... Um, you can get fresh air whenever you want. So that idea of living outside and being much nearer to the outside, well, that's really interesting because um, Richard and I, we went to Mercia Marina and we spoke to a lady called Jane and another lady called Danny who both decided to live their life on boats. So we're going to find out a bit more about that later on. But first, we're going to catch up with our friend Mick Slater, who's doing a really long walk, Charlie. Do you know how far he's walking? 200 miles. Try again, not 200 miles. 2,000 miles. Or 1,000 miles. That's a really long way to walk, isn't it? And he's walking in the hot sun across Spain right now. So as promised, we're going to catch up with Mick now, um, and then we'll find out a bit about boat life. Day 17, just settling in. I have a confession to make. Since day one, I've been in absolute agony and pain with my feet. End of day, I get back. I, I, I start, start to settle down, take my shoes off, and the pain starts to come in. There's spasming and cramping. And it takes me anything up to a couple of hours to settle down before I can go to sleep. In the morning, between three and 20, and 20 mile before some days, I'm actually stopping limping and the pain's actually gone away. I've not brought this up before because I didn't want any doubt, any doubt whatsoever that I'm not going to complete this walk. My alarm goes off at one minute to six each morning and I don't know what my feet are going to be like. But all I know is on November the 30th, on that final day, after that, my pain is gonna go away. It's gonna be like magic. It's gonna But just imagine for a second, just, just imagine for a second that you've got mental health problems. And you've got it maybe 24 seven, and you have no happy, 
resolution date. So there's there's just no date from from a, 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 a resolving your problems. Just imagine that, where every day you've just got the issues, got the problems, with no end date. My end date is the 30th of November, so I can be brave, I can be macho, I can be whatever you want to call it, dedicated, but at the end of the day I have a date. But for mental health people, the people who's got problems mentally, there are over 6,000 male, males in the UK commit suicide, take their own lives every year. 6,000, that's, that's, that's over, over 115 a week. That's huge. Um, and, this whole exercise, the event, is to, is to bring the awareness of this, these shocking statistics, to as many people as possible. Because it just seems to be that everybody I speak to knows someone who's affected by mental health. And this, this is serious, it's real for somebody to be taking the life, or there must be more considering taking the life, because it must be like a pyramid of you only see the top few, and the others are just suffering in silence. So please, go to my Just Giving page, do your best, and share this video as far and wide as possible. And promise me one thing, that all the efforts I've put in during this walk and the pain I'm going through each day is, is all worth it. And together, let's talk about mental health. What did you think about Mick and his journey? Sounds like he's having quite a hard time with getting a bit sore and things like that. Do you think you could walk that far, Charlie? Uh, no. Do you think Mick really deserves lots and lots of donations um, for the charity that he's doing this walk for? Yes. How much money do you think people should give him? Um, 90 pounds. 90 pounds. So if you can stick your hands in your pockets and find 90 pounds and um, go to Mick Slater's page, um, his Just Giving page um, and give him £90 as requested by Charlie. Okay, so that's enough of that. Let's um, find out about boat life. Hello, my name is Jane and uh, I am 47, living on my boat here for a year. Um, although I have had, this is my third narrowboat and I have lived probably 17 years in total on boats. I'm Danny, 33. I've lived here since January of this year. And my boat is Champagne Charlie, and it is my first boat. What made you buy a boat? How did you end up living on a boat? Um, we lived, we had a house in a, a not very nice area. Over the 12 years we lived there, it got worse and worse. And it was a tiny house. 
So we thought, why not downsize a tiny bit more and just get a boat? We know people who live up here, so we'd been up here for the summer and we just didn't enjoy going home. So put our name on the list and the process started. Had you been on boats before or was it just a kind of, I'd really like to try that? Well, about 12 years before, we'd helped bring our friend's boat home who lives here as well. Um, and we'd, we'd come up and visit people who, who live on boats. So it was just seemed a no-brainer. We'd never, it'd never been a decision before. It just happened in the summer. We've run with it. And how's it turned out? Absolutely love it. Yeah. I could not imagine going back to Bricks no. at all. What about you, Jane? How did you end up living on a boat and, and specifically here? Um, I first bought a boat when I was living in London, um, however many years ago, um, nearly 20 years ago now. And I had got fed up of sharing with friends. I got fed up with the rents in London and I started hanging around with some people that uh, had a boat in St Catherine's Dock. So I didn't, <laughs> I didn't slum it. But those were the days when you could, as long as you were below the radar, um, you could get away with a little bit more. So I, yeah, <laughs> the authorities will be after me now. Um, <laughs> and so I first bought my boat there simply because I wanted to be on my own and I couldn't afford a mortgage in London. Do you find, because well, there's been quite a lot in the press and in the news recently about the sort of increase in the number of people that are buying boats and licences, I think they've gone up by a third mm. in the last five or six years. There was something on Sky News particularly focusing on London and actually that it was almost impossible to be a, a genuine continuous cruiser because there wasn't actually anywhere to, to moor. So do you think getting out of London when you did, you know, was that a, a conscious decision or did it just sort of happen? I was with a, a partner at the time and we decided we'd had enough of London. I'd worked there for about 10 years. So we thought, where else is on the water? And he was an actor. So we thought Stratford-on-Avon. We set off for the journey to Stratford and sadly the whole River Thames flooded. Um, <laughs> we got as far as Reading and had to hole up in a marina there, um, which his father was in. In the meantime his father died of a heart attack, which was quite tragic. So we ended up staying in that area instead of moving on. We split up and then I got a, a temporary job because I'd run out of money and ended up staying staying on a country estate down there for about 18 months. I had a private mooring on the Maple Durham estate, worked on the estate and, uh, and had this beautiful country park to play in all on my own. So it sounds quite idyllic really. It was, it was very fortuitous um, out of a situation that could have been quite dire and I was flexible enough to go with it um, but it was absolutely beautiful. I was moored next to the water mill that um, appeared in Where Eagles Have Landed. Is it Eagles? Eagle, the Eagle Has Landed? Yeah. So I was moored next to that water mill for about 18 months, which was just beautiful. And what made you, Danny, pick a marina as opposed to just being sort of on the side of the towpath? Was it the sort of infrastructure or...? Um, if you've seen this marina, it was this marina that made us want to be in a marina. Because <laughs> obviously looking at boats, you go around a lot of different marinas. And coming back to this one, it just stood out dramatically at how community it yeah, was and how well it was looked after. I mean, we were in the Chandry one day and we saw the cleaners with massive, massive feather dusters cleaning all the, the walls outside of all the buildings. I just think that level of care 
it's just something to to want to be part of. And how did you find it when you first arrived? Were you, you yeah, was it easy to sort of integrate into the community and, and meet other people or extremely easy. If you're if you're stood and your head is visible, people will talk to you. True. Anybody so true. walks past you, they talk to you. Just mm. if if you've got a smile on your face, people will and people will talk to you and you can't help but not when you've just moved mm. to here from a horrible suburb. And you just and it was the winter and it was beautiful and it's cold and you're all wrapped up and the ice is everywhere and it's just And you meet people, um, we're all we've got laundry blocks and things like that. So even going to put your washing on, yeah, exactly. You'll have a chat with somebody in the laundry room, um, and there's book swaps and things like that. So you can be just choosing a different book off the shelf. Somebody will come in, and people are so open-minded. You end up having full-blown hour conversations, yeah. don't you? Yeah, it's, yeah. it's just it, it it drew me into being here. Did you have to look at many boats? Was was it challenging? Did you did you know much about boats when you started looking? You think you know, you think you've done enough research. <laughs> so you're going all good, yeah, we know all this stuff and you actually know nothing. Um, we looked at a lot of boats. The boat we chose fell through right at the last minute with our house selling. It was like, right, we just need a boat. So it was calling all the brokers and just to find out what was available because it was coming up to Christmas. Um, and we and somebody came up and they were like, we've got a mystery boat coming in. So just after Christmas, we had to create. Hayward looked at this. Oh, Shardley <laughs> looked at this mystery boat. It was a complete shed full of water, but we had it anyway. <laughs> was that a choice, or was it because you you didn't have a choice and you were running out of? <laughs> it was a little bit of both. The other boats we'd seen, they were nice, but it was it was things like headroom and living room spacing, and going on to this one. Someone had already started stripping it out, so they'd started a job that we would have had to do anyway. So it's just if we can knuckle down and live in a bit of a, a work zone for a year, then we can have what we want rather than settling for something that wasn't quite right. And what sort of size of boat or style did you go with? We went with a, st- a cruiser stern, 63 foot, with 12 foot headroom. So you've got so quite a lot of space. So it's quite a good one, yeah. <laughs> And how's the renovation gone? Really slow, because it's boat life. <laughs> yeah, nothing goes quickly. <laughs> no, we've got some temporary walling up, and we've sorted our stove out. That must be a priority at this time of year, surely. Yes, it ended up... <laughs> we noticed it just as the summer was drawing to a close. Some of the hottest days when we were sat outside in full work gear, stripping out um, all sorts of padding and stuff within our collar of our stove, and... Yeah, it was, it was really fun, actually. I enjoy all the, the renovation. It's something to learn. And how do you, how do you both sort of manage work life and, and, and sort of doing the, the normal day-to-day things when you, you live in a, a different environment? How does that work? I think if you're working, that's one of the advantages of being inside the marina because you've got electric hookup and the facilities for the you know, washing and things like that. You've normally got parking close by. If you were on the side of the canal, it might be a little bit more difficult and you'd have to be a bit more mindful of going to fetch things, empty your toilet, um, and those would just take more time. So I think if you were on the side of the canal and you were working full time, you'd probably be incredibly organised to get it all done. I think that's the beauty of being in a marina. Yes. You've got everything on site. Everything's just on your doorstep, isn't it? Because there are always chores to do. 
Yeah. You can't move onto a boat if you're not practical. No, it's a very manual way of living. Yeah, um, but that's partly the draw, I think, for a lot of people. You really do appreciate what goes into yeah. running to a house when you're doing it on a yeah, boat. Yeah, to keeping sort of warm, to emptying your toilet, to filling water. up with water. You never take those things for granted anymore. So you have to plan ahead, presumably. Yeah, plan just get into a routine of doing it. Yes, we've just opened our last bag of coal, so from here I'll go and order some coal so my stock's ready for when it does run out. And you get that delivered directly to the, the shop, presumably? Isn't it? it gets delivered from the shop, yeah. When we first moved here, I made the mistake of coming up with my trolley and picking up three bags of coal. <laughs> and lugging it back in the ice and the cold. And, and when you recover from the bad back, you realise <laughs> that they delivered it. <laughs> I was like, ah, it's fine, it's a lovely walk. And then I was like, I'm never doing that again. <laughs> so I've had it delivered ever since. And how do you find it? Because the marina can get, you know, during the summer particularly, can get very busy uh, with, with you know, events and then the public coming. How do you find that? Do you sort of find that they're encroaching on your space or do you just sort of embrace it? And... Well, they don't get to go into the moorers area where the, the boats and the lodges are. Mm. And it's quite nice It's uh, sitting on your boat or being around your boat and looking over at the, the stuff that's going on over on the boardwalk and seeing it. I think it's really heartwarming. Especially at firework night and everyone's on their boats watching the fireworks. Yeah, that's and a nice thing. You look over at the boardwalk, it's absolutely packed with people having a lovely time. And it's a case of, I live here and it's nice and quiet. Yeah. But I live there as well and it's really busy and the public love it. And, and it's nice because you can, you can become part of it. You can come out to the events, which are great. Um, and also you can pop over for a cup of tea. If you've got friends joining, you can just say, okay, do you want to go to the tea rooms or the pub? Um, so you've got the best of both worlds, but that side of the gates um, is the whole other community that most people this side don't see. And how many people live within the marina? I think um, I think it's about two hundred residentials and over five hundred um, boats in total. Um, so there's a mix between residential boaters and leisure moors, as I call them. And you've got lodge owners as well now. As yeah, well, there's there? a lot of lodge owners um, and some new lodges going in as well around a new lake. So that's really nice. Because it's, it's really changed in the last sort of eight or nine years from when it was first done. If you look at when it was originally open, mm. it was quite bare. There wasn't, there certainly wasn't shops and, and things to go to. It's only probably in the last four or five years that the shops and things have really come on. But uh, do you find yourselves using the sort of shops and restaurants that yeah. are available? Yeah, all the yeah. time. Especially the Indian is phenomenal. It's good, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and the tea rooms are great. You can just sort of pop across. I mean, I came, I walked the dog yesterday. It was absolutely pouring with rain. Walked the dog round, came and had a cup of tea, toasted tea cake, and carried on my little circuit back round. What's there not to like? It's in your garden, isn't it? You've got a tea room in your garden. <laughs> exactly. That's perfect life for me. I mean, one of the things um, I find quite interesting when you read, you know, about the number of people that do now live on their boat and, and make that a full-time decision, is a lot of people seem to think it's a cheaper and much um, sort of easier way of life. And, and I'm not sure it is, but it'd be interesting to sort of see what your thoughts are on that. It's definitely not cheaper than where we were, but it's worth every penny compared to where we were. A lot of people think that it's a free way of living. You don't have to pay council tax, you don't have to... Uh, and that's always the favourite question. Oh, you don't have to pay council tax, do you? Wherever you are, um, you're still having to pay moorings. Then you're paying your boat licence. Um, and so that's 
being on the waterways. You have to pay a boat license to be on the waterways. Um, and then if you're residential in a marina, you will always pay slightly more than leisure moors anyway. So that in effect covers the equivalent of your council tax business rates type thing. Um, so but yeah, you can't, there isn't an easy way of getting around and doing it absolutely for free. Um, so you, you still have a lot of costs and expenses, but possibly it is cheaper than living in a house. In certain areas, yes, yeah. I think also if you're looking at it for a cheaper way of living, it's not the right decision. That's not the reason to be looking at it. I think it used to be. When I first started doing it 20 odd years ago, it probably was a cheaper way of living because you could moor at the side of canal. They weren't so strict on, on sort of licenses, moorings, being in a marina. They've tried to encourage people now to move into marinas um, for a permanent mooring. And at one stage you couldn't get residential moorings. They were, they were like um, stardust. Whereas now it's become a lot easier to get a residential mooring. I suppose that's some, something to do with the, depending on where you are as well, because you were saying, Jane, that you lived in London, mm. and presumably the comparative cost yes. is much less than if you were in a bit of some yes. other Derby, Danny. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> and also the difference yeah. is quite a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Is, is there a, um, I was thinking, well, so do you have, are you in family or couples, do you have children, or is anybody on the marina that kind of lives as a family? Because I'm wondering how that would work. Yeah, we, we know a couple. Um, there's a dog, two kids, husband and wife on a 40-foot narrowboat. Goodness me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I've got a husband and two cats and that's a challenge, yeah. <laughs> I've got my fiancé living next door, so he has a wide beam next door <laughs> and I'm on the narrowboat. <laughs> so... Scott asked Jane, so did you meet in the narrowboat community? We, we met on the jetty. <laughs> So I pulled up and there he was. Um, and the rest is history. But yes, yeah, so we. Romantic. <laughs> I like the idea of this separate. So edit that out, my wife will kill me. But it works really well for us. Um, he has his space, I have my space. And obviously, then you just got two foot in between. Um, so you can just pop over and say hi. Sounds great. Yeah, sounds really good. Yeah. What does a typical, so you've, you've said obviously it's a very practical way of living and you've got to sort of be able to do, what does a typical day look like from the, you know, from the, the first thing in the morning? What, what do you have to sort of think about that you might not in a conventional house or, or other environment? Um, so you wake up and make sure your fire's still alive. If it's not, wake it up, because otherwise it's going to be a cold day. Or you're going to have had a cold night. Um, you work your toilet, so that fills up. Especially with the two of us, generally, if, if my husband's working from home, it's a, a daily, a daily clean out. <laughs> so there's, there's always a, a toilet to go. Don't poo at home. <laughs> it's far too cold to go to the facilities blocks. Um, and then you've got to, you, obviously, your coal, you check your water, there's your washing, because we've not yet got a washing machine on board. So you're logging that up and down the, the jetty. Just everything's... Yeah. Missed anything. I don't think so. I think on yeah on Saturdays I'll sort of put the water on, fill up my tank. Tanks always run out when it's dark and cold though as well. Yeah, so you you try and sort of preempt that. So you've got your tank full. Um, but I've got most things. You know, my water. I've got an immersion heater fitted, so that does does it on 
timings and so on. Um, and I've got a diesel stove, so it's a little bit easier, but it's very often too hot with that one. I've just turned it off because it was 32 degrees when I came out of the boat. So I'm then running on just two convection heaters on the electric. But you know, I'll have to fill up with diesel for that eventually. Would you recommend it to somebody if they were thinking about boats and where should they start? So if they're sort of thinking about doing it, what, what should they do first? Look at as many boats as possible, regardless of what you think you want. Yeah. So if you want a 69 foot cruiser stern with this, this and this, go and look at the one that's a, a traditional layout that's 40 foot, because there might be something in there that goes, I didn't know I wanted that actually. So just get on as many boats as physically possible. And you will still find, like I say, this is the third one I've had now. Um, and I knew by this stage what I was wanting. I wanted a diesel stove with a back boiler on it so it runs the radiators. But there are still things that you compromise on. Um, and you're never going to, unless you build it from scratch and have it built for you and then fit it out. I don't think you'll ever get it perfect, but the same as houses really. But then if you did build it from scratch, that's going to be a significant uh, Very investment. Very expensive, yes. Yeah. Um, again, it's gone up tremendously. My first narrowboat was £15,000. Um, <laughs> so you just can't... Well, you could do that now, but I really wouldn't recommend buying one that cheaply because you don't know what the hull would be like. Um, they just don't exist anymore. Um, and do they hold their value? If you look after your metalwork, yeah. so if you've got a good hull and it's bits, you've got constant blacking and there's a record of looking after mm. it, then yes they can. I mean there's still some boats selling that, and from the 1930s mm. because they've been looked after, proper historical boats. Then you get some from 2008 and they've never looked after it and it needs overplating so it's that won't hold its value the same. Interestingly, the steel work, well, you might not find it interesting. <laughs> I used to weld boats together. I used to work for a boat builder and actually weld them together. And oh, wow. um, it, the steel has changed. So boats built sort of 20... It's got thinner, I guess. Yeah, yeah, boats built 20 years ago very often have a better hull than a lot of the modern boats built in sort of 2000s and onwards um, because the quality of the steel went down. So you might find that a much older boat is much more robust if it's been looked after than a newer boat um, because the, the steel is just not good, good quality. I assume was that just because of the, the influx of people buying them that it was get cheaper steel? Uh, I think it's the age old issue of it being imported in um, rather than, dare I say, British steel. Um, the quality of the steel has gone down with, with imports coming in and the price has gone up. And there's less materials go around, I guess. So, you know, so they've actually got to spread it out. Yeah. The cost has gone up because there's mm. less available, I guess. Mm. But if you can get an aluminium boat, then they... <laughs> yeah, so there's one next door to us. <laughs> Not jealous of it at all. Never having to black his boat. <laughs> What's the best thing, do you think? Oh, God, there are, there's more than one. <laughs> I think the community... Being able to wake up and the boat's moving in the wind, you're so close to the elements, you can hear the rain, feel the wind moving the boat. Looking out, doing your pots and you're just watching nature, you're watching yeah. dragonflies or kingfishers or herons yeah. or baby swans and it's the, the view changes every single day, especially with the change of the weather, so mm. it's an ever-changing picture that you're, it's, yeah, there's 
everything is if it's the way for life for you then everything should be right it should be everything perfect I don't think there's many disadvantages really you can untie at the weekend go and change your view if you want turn your boat around yeah quite often at the weekend we'll go out and take the boat out just onto the Wellington cot and stay out there for the weekend just because probably the only negative is having to deal with your own poo yeah. <laughs> but everybody does. Yeah, but everybody does so it becomes a thing that's not a big deal. It's it's not a taboo subject because everybody has got to do it. So in a way that sounds like something that brings people together anyway. Oh yeah, when you're taking two angry yeah. tanks for a walk, yeah, yeah they yeah, can get yeah. some, some conversation along yeah. the way. Yeah. Yeah. And it's one of the most common questions because people yeah. will you know, they're desperate to know these things. So when you've been talking to them for a little while, then they'll say, Where does your poo go? Um I used to have a pump out boat and so I oh, know that's a whole other subject is whether you go cassette. Cassette or pump out, or, or, or yeah. Compost now. Yeah, compost. Yeah. There's also the incinerator Cinderella toilets as well, isn't there? Mm, mm. Sorry, you've got to say a bit about that. So well, I don't know much about it. I just read a, a small thing on one of the Facebook groups the other day. It's a toilet that incinerates your poop. <laughs> In the toilet? In the toilet. And it's called a Cinderella toilet. Google that. <laughs> You're going to have to do something about that, Ian. <laughs> I'm not sure how I feel about it. <laughs> something burning my ear. Sounds like it could be quite smelly. Yeah. Yeah. I'm quite fascinated now. I, I need to know more, yeah. My Google history is going to be interesting. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Are there any events coming up? Or? We've got Christmas fuddles. We've got... Um, There's a choir. The there choir. Is a choir. There's yeah. rope splicing tonight. So if you're on the marina, you have access to a, a lot of events that the moorers will put on. Um, so different people will be like, oh, well, I'm into the choir or ukulele. So at the minute, they use the willow tree in the evenings and groups happen. Mm. So tonight there's an event on where people can go and learn to rope splice. I'm just interested. So what strikes me about what you're saying is that the living on the marina, having this sort of two foot between you and then a very small bit of metal, um, it builds a community. I'm sure like most communities, not everybody joins in, but it sounds like a lot of people do. Mm. Now, there's lots of terrace, there's lots of houses all connected to each other, but sometimes it happens, but, but rarely. A lot of the time we don't have that community develop around. Um, so what's mm. the difference? Why, why do you think there's a difference? I think it's because they've chose to live here. It's expected, isn't it, that you grow up, you get a house, you get your family and whatever and you all live in these bricks and when I lived in a house I my neighbour's front door was directly in front of mine because we were down an alleyway in a terrace house we didn't speak to him for the first seven years um, and I think everybody's chosen to live this slightly not normal way of life so instantly you've got something in common and it just is a, it, it just closes that barrier down I think especially being behind locked gates you're all in this this small private community you've got something a little bit more than just living on a street and so it's that difference that brings you together yeah you've chosen to live differently and therefore actually the commonality becomes stronger yes and you end up meeting more varied people because of that yeah. and it's a great leveler because i think in houses i mean i have lived in a house for a small amount of time and then chosen to come back onto a boat um you're in a hermetically sealed box and you don't actually know what your neighbours are doing. Here you are aware 
of people's movements around you, even though you've got privacy if you want it. But like Danny says, if you stick your head up, somebody will say, oh, I've got a kettle on, do you want a, do you want a cuppa? And that just doesn't seem to happen in houses. I don't know whether it's the type of person that it encourages, but it's also a great leveller because on boats, nobody really cares what you do for a living, what car you drive, how big your boat is. Nobody ever seems to be bothered about those type of things. In a house, you do tend to get keeping up with the Jones as much as people would argue against that. Jane, you were talking about the first aid. Yeah, we have a really good um, voluntary um, group of people on the marina who all train up for first aid and everybody has the number. It goes out in the new, um, new packs for, for people when they arrive. So if you have a problem, um, you can call them. I mean, obviously dial 999, but they have all the keys to the marina. They can get the ambulance to your boat. Um, they will come and help with minor first aid and they've actually saved I think up to seven people on the marina because they were there first. Um, yeah, there were, there were two on my jetty not long ago who if it wasn't for the first responders and the community probably would have passed away. Brilliant, thank you. Um, uh, Danny, you were talking about that like kind of life with less stuff moving from a house onto a boat and, and what happens with all the stuff that you have. Yes, when we moved from the house, we went from having around three wardrobes worth of stored clothes, I suppose, to going to a small dresser now with everything in. I can't remember what I said. Well, you were talking about um, that... I guess that, yeah, how that feels, and that, and you talked about one in, one out. And, yes. And you know, also the, the sort of swap, swap shop type thing yeah. you've got here. Yes, we have um, reuse recycle table, I call it. What did you call it? It's the give and take table. Give and take on table. Our side. <laughs> I like how it's got different names yeah. as well. <laughs> um, where anything that you don't want, if it's still completely usable, goes onto this table, and anyone behind the green gates can have access to it. Um, I got a very fancy kettle. Just need a little bit of sprucing up. I got a mini mini Dyson. Just needed the battery changing. Very nice. Um, nice. We do that with clothes as well. So clothes go on the give and take table, don't they? Yes, and you take a take a cloth and put one back because you've not got the space to store it. <laughs> but yeah, getting rid of everything when we was moving downsizing to the to the boat. Yeah, we went from there were four bedrooms worth of of clothing, both mine and my husband's. Um, and it was, it was really nice to look at things and not feel guilt of getting rid of it, but guilt of keeping it because there's nowhere for it to go. You end up storing clothes mm -hmm. for the sake of it because, oh, I wore that 10 years ago to a wedding. It was a beautiful day, but you're, you're never going to put it on again and it's just stored for stored sake. Um, and, and it went to, um, some very, went to charity shops. We sent about 15 bags to homeless charities, all manner of different waterproofs and warm clothes and it's, it's just it feels nice to not have that much and stuff to think about just how little stuff you actually need you just yeah. don't if you've got one of everything i mean i have very few pots and crockery but actually if you think about how many things you use in your cupboard or how many mugs you actually need um you can get by with four so a, it kind of sounds like you're clearing out physically, but also there's a mental clear out that's happening there. Yeah, isn't 100%, there? Yeah. Yeah, yes. you, don't, you don't have that pressure on you anymore to have this or have that or keep that. And, nope. yeah. Absolutely. If someone gives you a gift 
and you've got nowhere to store it, use it. I'm sorry, but my space is more important than a candle. So yeah. reuse recycle table. So I hope you enjoyed that. Um, and hopefully, like Richard and I, you might be inspired to spend a bit more time on boats, get on the water. Maybe you've been thinking about that decision to change the way you live and this has inspired you to do something about it. If it has or if it hasn't, um, please get in touch with us. Um, you can find us on Twitter at a diverse life pod. Um, you can also contact us by email a diverse life podcast at gmail.com. And if you like the show, um, please you know, click that little like button or leave it a review or share it. And if you don't like the show, um, please get in contact and tell us about what it was that you didn't like. And um, if you don't want to listen to this podcast, please go and find another podcast and listen to that. Thanks very much. Goodbye. A Diverse Life was brought to you by Richard Shakespeare and your host, Ian Pringle. It's a diverse life.